Now, that might feel like yesterday to some of us. It was in the year 2000. That book was on the New York Times bestseller list. Anybody read that book, Prayer of Jabez? It was a good book. Only 92 pages in length. Sold over 9 million copies. Popular book, no doubt. What's interesting about the book is it takes a passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, and it shows us how we are to pray that prayer in our lives. Now, of course, some people took it and abused it and started claiming things and almost using the prayer of Jabez as if it was something that God had to respond to when we prayed it. Now, aside from the abuses of this book, there's a great value to what it teaches us. The big thing that I want to stress today is that that book teaches us what it is like to pray the Scriptures, to pray God's Word. If you're like me, there are times in my life, in my prayer life, when I simply don't know what to say for somebody. God puts someone on my heart, I want to pray for them, and I just don't have the words to say. And granted, Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. But on the other hand, God has provided for us example prayers throughout the Bible that we can take and pray those on the behalf of other people. And today we're going to look at one of those prayers in Ephesians chapter 1. I'll be looking at verses 15 through 19 in particular and also verses 20 through 23. It's a prayer by the Apostle Paul for a group of people from the city of Ephesus. Paul had a great affection for these people. And we find that out in these verses. And what I pray, my goal in this message is twofold. It's first of all that we can learn this prayer, that we can examine it in its depth and really glean some beautiful truths. But second of all, my desire is that we could then take this prayer and start praying it over people in our lives. So first, I want us to learn the prayer and then to start using it as we pray for others that God places in our hearts. And what's unique about this prayer is I I think there are two dimensions to it. First of all, Paul prays that, that the people of Ephesus would come to know what is unknowable. Almost a contradiction in terms, but it's there. It's a paradox, a mystery. And also, secondly, that they would come to uh, find, have insight into things that are invisible so that they would know what is unknowable and have insight into things that are invisible. Would you look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19? I don't know if my mic is on. Can you guys hear me fine? Okay, good. This is what God's Word says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we want to learn from You this morning. 
God, we want to learn how to pray. God, when you put people in our hearts, we, we want to pray for them, God. And we don't want to just launch redundant or repetitious prayers. We want to launch, we want to, we want to declare, God, thoughtful ones. So Lord, I pray that as we open Ephesians 1 this morning, that God, we might internalize this prayer for our own lives and for the people you call us to pray for. Lord, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for the beauty of your word. And thank you that we can pray your word. In Christ's name, amen. If you look at verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You know, over the last uh, three weeks, we've had three different messages on prayer. And we've seen different angles, a call to pray. The first Sunday by Bill Reed, when he asked the question, Are you too busy to pray? When in reality, prayer is the most important thing we can do. Jose Mendez opened Psalm 63 for us and taught us what it's like to pray in the wilderness days of our lives. Last week, Nathaniel Wilson opened up Acts 12 and showed us how the believers prayed when Peter was in prison, that they were to the point, that they knew their God and they could declare to him. And this week, I want us to look at a prayer for people and a prayer that stemmed out of a heart of gratitude. And you see, in verse 15, Paul says that he heard of their faith toward Jesus Christ and their love toward one another. That brought Paul great joy. You see, he started this church back in Acts 19. And it was no small commotion in that town. It was a town known of great witchcraft. And people would hand over their witchcraft books and burn them when they came to Jesus Christ. So many people came that there was a riot in the town. And things had to be settled down before Paul can leave. He had a great affection for these people. And when he heard it through the grapevine, that they were people who had faith and love, he says that he responded in gratitude. He says, I don't stop, I don't cease thanking God for you. But when he thanks God for them, he says that he remembers them in his prayers. Have you ever been told a story of somebody who did something great for someone? For instance, if you know someone who's struggling financially and, and they came and said, hey, let me tell you what so-and-so did for me. They wrote me a check to cover this expense in my life. Isn't that wonderful? And you ever been taken and say, man, God, praise you for this person. And then be led to prayer and say, God, I pray that this person will continue to... And you pray. Or did someone come up to you and said, you know, the other day I was so sorrowful, so burdened and and this woman came up to me, not knowing my plight, just put her arm on me and prayed for me. And they told you this, and you just think, man, God, praise you for that discerning woman. And you start praying for her. I think this is what's happening with Paul. He heard, they had the reputation of faith and love. He's praising God. All of a sudden, he's remembering them. He's saying, God, I want to pray for the Ephesians. And God might be placing people in your heart to pray for Faithful people, people who love Jesus, people who are faithful and who love others. And God says, pray for this person. 
And Paul shows us right here in Ephesians 1 what he said to God when he prayed. And this is what the scripture says in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. I love this, this introduction. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he calls Him the Father of glory. And Paul said, this, this is the one I'm praying to on your behalf, Ephesians. And to lift someone up in prayer and say, I'm going to pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of glory. I'm going to pray to Him on your behalf. It's a blessing for someone. And this is what he said. He prays that they would know what is unknowable. Or better, they would pr- he prays that they would know He who is unknowable. He prays that they would come to know God in a personal and intimate way. You might find it odd that I say God is unknowable because uh, we know about God, don't we? But you know, apart from God revealing Himself to us, there's no way on our own efforts we can come to know Him. Now God in His mercy has revealed Himself to us in all of creation. You look to the skies, the sky is not God, but it points to one, doesn't it? We look at one another, image bearers of God. We are not God, but the fact that we are here points to a creator, does it not? So God in His mercy has revealed Himself to us, but this general revelation, if you will, cannot bring us to a personal, intimate relationship with Him. We can't know God in the most deepest sense simply from creation. He must reveal Himself to us in a special way. And indeed, if we placed our trust in Jesus Christ, You cannot do that unless He's revealed Himself to you in a special way. And these Ephesian believers, Paul knows that they've already trusted Jesus Christ. So he knows that they have not only a general understanding of God, but even a special one. But he prays that they might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That they might go deeper in their knowledge of God. I live only 10-15 minutes northwest of here which gets me closer to O'Hare Airport. And from the front porch of my house, planes get pretty low. And we can watch them. In fact, you can see the colors. You can see the, uh, the airline. And you squint and you can see someone waving. No, I'm not. And you know, if you look to the sky on a partly cloudy day, you'll hear the airplane and you'll hear it roar. You know it's low, but if it's in the clouds, you can't see it. You can start guessing what it's like, how low it might be, how fast it's going, but it's still covered by the clouds. And it's not until the airplane goes through the clouds that we can see how low it really is. We can see the details of its speed, the colors, the airline. And in many ways, God is like that. Generally, people can see and perceive and perhaps hear Him, if you will. But the clouds are covering Him. But when God reveals himself to us, we can see the details of who he is. And what Paul is praying is not simply that they would see the colors of God or the airlines of God, if you will, but he wants them to grow in the, in the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can get inside the plane. They can buckle up. They can see the chairs, the colors inside. Experience it in a new way. Experience God in a new way. A spirit of wisdom 
and revelation he prays for. Now this word revelation might bring to your mind the book of Revelation, which brings to your mind the end times often. And in fact, the Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis, which we get our word apocalypse, which again brings to our mind the end times. But the word revelation doesn't mean end times. It simply means a revealing. And certainly in the end times, God will reveal himself in the culmination of history. But what Paul is praying here is that God will reveal himself in the present for these believers. And that they might grow in a deeper understanding of him. And that he also gives them a spirit of wisdom so they can discern who God is. Such tensions there because truly God is unknowable. He is not like us. Yet, we're called to know him. A.W. Tozer um, writes in, the, in, the, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says this prayer, which I really love. He says, Lord... How great is our dilemma. In your presence, silence best becomes us. It's best to be quiet in front of you, God, because you're so beyond us and we are so small. He says, but love inflames our hearts and constrains us to speak. Were we told to hold our peace, the stones would cry out. Yet if we speak, what shall we say? I mean, this is a man who has an understanding that God is beyond who we are. And then he says this, teach us in his prayer to know that we cannot, or what we cannot know. For the things of God, no man knows but the Spirit of God. We cannot know God on our own effort. Tozer says it here in his prayer. He says, God, teach us to know what we can't know. He says, let faith support us where reason fails. And we shall think because we believe not in order that we may believe. He's saying, because we believe in you, God, we believe in you who, are incom- who is incomprehensible, let us then grow in the knowledge of you. We believe you first, God. Now teach us of who you are. He continues, For while the name of God is secret and his essential nature is incomprehensible, he, in condescending love, has by revelation declared certain things to be true of himself. These we call attributes. So let me, let me pull back here. I know that's a lot. God is beyond our understanding. He is unknowable. But God in his mercy has chosen to reveal himself, not only generally in creation, but also offered a special revelation to his people. A special revelation in his Bible where God speaks to us. These are the very words of God. 1 Timothy 3 tells us, um, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that this is God-breathed. It's authoritative. God has revealed himself specially through his word. And Paul prays that the Ephesians would come to know God intimately in this way. Well, how do we do this? I mean, really, how do we come to know God more intimately? Well, as Tozer says, we start with reflecting upon his attributes. Just think for a moment that God is eternal. You ever let your mind wander into that? God, you existed before the earth began. And then before that. And before and before. And you never started, but, but you always exist. But how can things always exist and never start? And you start pondering that and then you go, but God, you always will exist. There will never be a time which you are not. And just think about that. 
Let, let your mind wander into that beauty. And that's only one attribute of God. Think about His love, His mercy, His justice, His omnipresence. And you'll be spending a lifetime contemplating the knowledge of the holy. And Paul says, God, I pray that for these Ephesian believers that you will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation as they do this so that they might have a more intimate, more deeper, more full understanding and more personal experience of who you are. That's a beautiful prayer to pray on behalf of someone else that they might know what is unknowable. God who is unknowable. And I challenge all of us as we pray this for others, that we ourselves might pursue this understanding of God. I'm not a fan of bull riding, and every so often I'll turn on TV and it's on, and I don't know why, because who watches that? Well, I guess I do for a moment, because I'm the one that I don't care to take so much of it, but these guys get on this angry bull, and they ride it. And you see their body jerking, and they're just holding on, and you know their hat falling off, and getting whiplash, get thrown off the ho- uh, the the, the uh, the bull, they run off the, the, get over the wall, and the interview, like, oh, what, man, that was great, you know. They start talking about how great the bull is, how strong it is, and, uh, and then they can't wait to get back on. And I wonder if, in some sense, peering into the depths of who God is is like that. It's an adventure. We get tossed around trying to figure Him out. In fact, even thrown off to the side, perhaps, because God, I just don't get this. But you know, when you stop and think, I want more. And I'm going to tell you what I just experienced. And Paul wants them to taste of God. And, and also, just thinking about the first 14 verses, we don't have time, of Ephesians, are some of the most rich theological statements in all of the Bible. He just told them about this, and he says, I want you to know more of God than the fact that you've been predestined, adopted, called, sealed by the Spirit, and on and on. Pray this prayer for others, but let it also penetrate yourself. He not only prays that they might know the unknowable, but that they might have insight into the invisible. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts, not not these literal eyes, because you're not going to see it with these literal eyes, but having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. Now get the tension there. Eyes of my heart enlightened. Eyes are not enlightened. Minds are enlightened. Eyes are opened. And eyes are not open so you know. They're open so you see. But Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts are enlightened that you may know. There's a sense that Paul is saying, I want you t- to know these things by envisioning them in the, uh, through your heart, through your mind's eye, if you will. That you might come to know these things that are true although you may not be able to see them, that you might have insight into the things that are invisible. Now, I'm, I'm the cerebral type. I like to think. I love uh, learning. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm enthralled with learning. I love school. I'm a nerd. And there's great danger in being a nerd because knowledge puffs up, says Paul, says Paul in, uh, in Corinthians. But there's also great danger and downplaying knowledge. Because though my emotions may fail me, what I know to be true will not. And that's not to downplay emotions either. Because I'm pretty excited talking about this right now. 
because it's here in my mind. God is teaching us and teaching me. And there are three things that, God, that, that Paul is praying that they might see even though these things, and, and come to know even though they're invisible. And the first of which is that they might have insight into what is uh, eternal. He says that, they, that, they, that you might know in verse 18 what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope to which he has called us who placed our faith in Jesus Christ? The hope is nothing other than eternal. It's heaven. It's being in the presence of God for all of eternity. There is a hope about our identity as a child of God. And Paul wants them to know that. Now, granted, of course they know it. They know that they are God's children. They know that they will be with Him forever. But he wants them to know it. That the eyes of their hearts might be opened so that they can know it in a more deep sense. It pains my heart when I know of people who once believed this hope with certainty and now question it in their own hearts. It pains me when someone who was once assured of their salvation because it was purchased by Christ and sealed by the Spirit now worries if they can lose it. That's not hope. There's no hope if you can lose the hope. That's fear. And even more so, if the hope is based upon your own performance, how much more frightening because I know me. You know you. You're frail. I'm frail. And Paul says, I want them to know the hope, the sure hope that belongs to us who name the name of Christ. Just go up a few verses to verse 13. He's talking about the spiritual benefits there are in Christ Jesus. He says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Can't break the seal of the Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee. Not the wishful thinking. It is the hope of our calling that we have a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. If we believe that our hope can be lost, there is no glory for God there. But the fact that we have a guarantee that we will take possession of this in eternity, that is to the praise of God's glory. And that Paul prays that they will be solidified in that hope. And you need to be praying that for your brother or your sister. And if they believe it already, pray that they will be frequently reminded of it that, God might be, it, that God might establish them on it so they can rejoice in it. That we will always have this in our, the forefront of our thoughts. So he prays that they might have insight into what is eternal, their, their eternity, and also that they would have insight into their identity. Look at the next part of verse 18. He says, I want you to know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Now it's easy to overlook something very important here. Because certainly, as a child of God, we have an eternal inheritance. We just read that in verse 13. Our inheritance is in heaven. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Whose inheritance does he mention here? He says that we might know what is His inheritance. 
referring back to God. Well, what is God's inheritance? What does God inherit? What is God's property? What has he possessed that Paul says is glorious? He says God's glorious inheritance. Well, the next part of verse 18 says, it's in the saints. God's glorious inheritance is in those of us who placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There may be some of us here today who are having a serious identity crisis. You're unsure of the value or the worth of your life. How significant you are. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you are God's glorious inheritance. What did he do to purchase you? He sent his son. What did his son do? He bled. What did he he bled on the cross? God went to the extremest lengths to purchase you and make you his glorious inheritance if you place your trust in him. Paul says, I want you to know that and to always be reminded of it because the enemy of the soul wants to tell you you're worthless. Would you pray that for somebody? That they would know that? He prays that they would know the invisible nature of their eternity, the invisible nature of their identity. And last part of this in verse 19, that They would know the invisible nature of their authority. Not their own authority, but who is their authority. And it is God. Look at verse 19. He says that you would know what is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. God's power is made available to us. He is our authority and He empowers us past, present, and future. In the past, He bought us. He rescued us. He redeemed us. Only God and His power can do that. No one else can purchase you from, uh, uh, purchase your, your sins. No one else can do it. But God, who is immeasurable power, can do it. In the present tense, his immeasurable power lets us be bearers of the gospel. The fact that God would use you or use me to be someone who shares the hope of eternity with another person and that they could cross over from death to life because we shared this with them, that's God's immeasurable power at work within us that brings that to take place. The fact that we can offer a word of encouragement that truly uplifts somebody That's God's immeasurable power at work through us. The fact that He could give us victory over unbelief. That we woke up this morning and had even the slightest inclination to come to church and worship Him. That's God's power at work in us. That we can say no to sin. That we don't have to bow down to our flesh and give in. That's God's power at work within us. The fact that we have victory over Satan is God's power at work within us. 1 John 4 says, Greater is he, referring to God, who is in us, than he, referring to Satan, who is in the world. 
Paul's prayer is that they would know this. That God, know God's power, past tense, in the present, but in the future, because he who began a good work will complete it. We shall enter eternity if we place our faith in Christ. Only God can make that happen where we can stand before Him and praise forever. And just in case his readers were unsure of God's power, Paul lets himself do an intentional rabbit trail in verses 20 through 23. Let me explain God's power, if you will, is what he says. This is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power at work within us. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's the power that's at work within us. The power that raised Christ from the dead and now has him seated at the right hand of the Father and on his glorious throne. That power is at work within us. Verse 21, And place Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. That's the power at work within us. Verse 22, And he put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want this man praying for me. I want you praying for me. I want us to be praying for each other. Paul wants them to know God who is unknowable. That God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of God. Paul wants them to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened so they could be certain of their eternity. They could be certain of their identity and certain of the authority given to them empowered by God. And let us be those who peer into these things and ask God to bring them and make them true of us. Now I recognize there are some of us here today who don't know this, who don't know God in this way. The eyes of your heart have not been enlightened. There is no hope of a calling in you. You are not God's glorious inheritance. God's immeasurable power is not offered to you as it is to a child of God because you haven't surrendered your life to Him. I pray that you would surrender. Surrender it all. Christ came. Jesus came to pay for our sins. Every wrong thing we've done. Everything. And to give us forgiveness. And if that weren't enough, everything we've been talking about for the last half hour is also offered. And I pray that today you might surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That way you might know the hope of your calling. That way you might know what joy it is to be called God's glorious inheritance. That you might know God's power in your life and the joy that He offers. I pray that all of us would take this and pray it over people. 
Pastor Robert, elders of Good News Bible Church, Jose Mendez, Ralph Edmonds, Ben Toro, Benny Ortiz, Nathan Strand. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, really, into the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That you might know what is the hope of your calling. That you might know. That you might know that you are God's glorious inheritance. And know his immeasurable power at work within you. Men of God, I pray that for you. I want to give us all a moment just right now. Pray this prayer over someone that God puts on your heart this moment. First person to come to your mind, bow your heads, pray that over them. You can open your Bible if you need to be reminded, but pray that over somebody. And I'll close in just a moment. Oh God, we want to know you still more. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation into you. God, teach us to pray for each other. May we pray. God, glorify yourself in this church. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, please stand with us as we sing our closing song.
Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. That each one of us, each of us might know the hope of the calling that we've been called. That we may know the glorious inheritance of God. That we are that. And that we might know His immeasurable power at work within us. Would this be your hope and your pursuit as you peer into Almighty God this week? Take my 